Welcome into the bank, a show which covers the Baltimore Ravens and the NFL. The bank is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome into the bank. I'm joined, as always, by my BSL Ravens analyst colleagues, Mike Randall and Jamie Seek. So, uh, before we get to them, first a word from the sponsor, Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. They're a third-generation family business established in 1959, located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster. They're the oldest floor-covering store in Carroll County and one of Maryland's longest-running flooring businesses. For all your flooring needs, think Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. So, guys, I put together the outline for the show, sent it off to you guys, and as I was doing so, I thought, well, this is uh, kind of a good example of what we had talked about maybe a month, month and a half ago of at some point in the offseason, there is only so much to talk about. And I could have beat down the draft uh, a little bit more, but uh, just a few kind of off-the-wall topics we'll, we'll get through tonight. And we're going to start with a Bleacher Report uh, article on projected spots for remaining free agents. And their projection had Antonio Brown uh, to Baltimore. If we wake up to that signing in the near future, you will think what, Jamie? apocalypse no i'm just kidding a little bit I, I don't think we'd ever wake up to that signing i think the organization is so since the ray rice incident the organization has really done everything they can to avoid any kind of controversial off the field type stuff i mean obviously you can't control all of that but you have a guy with a history now again Maybe some of it's overblown. Obviously, you don't know all the details. Maybe he's passed some of the stuff. But I, let's put it this way. If I woke up tomorrow and that happened, I would be ridiculously shocked, especially when he's all but begging to come back to Tampa. I, I, I don't see, unless somebody blows him away, I don't see him ending up anywhere but Tampa again. Uh, Mike, I feel like our shared opinions are going to be aligned here. I remember what you were on the board uh, – uh, last uh, year when it was being uh, discussed uh, or rumored that he could be joining the Ravens. Do you want to play devil's advocate? He went and joined Tampa. Uh, he was effectively a model citizen enough that he won a Super Bowl. He could be, from day one, he's probably the Ravens' best re receiver if they sign him. Do, do you want to argue otherwise that the Ravens uh, should make that leap? I, I don't really want to argue otherwise. I think even if even if he's a model citizen and all that stuff, I mean, if he's put some of this behind him or he's turned some kind of corner or, you know, whatever, however you want to frame it, um, he, he would be bringing in a guy who wants the ball thrown to him a lot as the number one receiver on this team. Uh, you're bringing him into a team that throws the ball far and away the least of any team in the NFL. That only screams to me that eventually he's going to get fed up and run his mouth and say something. And, you know, not only that, you know, his cousin's on the team too. Marquise Brown, uh, you know, did a little of that last year, redacted his tweet right away that, you know, he said he wanted more targets and this and that. And, and then it was a talking point for the rest of the year. Every time he threw him the ball and he dropped it, it was like, you know, stop tweeting. 
and catch the ball. And um, I just don't think that we need another guy that's going to come in here and just demand targets and demand balls his way when that's that's not the Ravens' offense. That's not how the Ravens win games. So everything else being being equal, all the off-the-field stuff aside, it's just a personality that I just don't want in this clubhouse. Yeah, well, I'm going to echo uh, your guys' thoughts as well. I'm in total agreement, and frankly, I would rather see the Ravens uh, lose games than bring – Antonio Brown in and him be a part of them winning. I, I just and people can say that's hyperbolic, but no, it's not. I, I'd rather watch uh, the Ravens lose. I just don't have any interest in that, and I, I think it would completely blow up. Uh, I think it's you know obviously Lamar is, uh, has an MVP trophy, but he's not Tom Brady. He does not command the. Uh, it's it's just a little bit different. Antonio Brown joining Tampa at that point, he's desperate for getting a contract and latching on uh, with somebody and showing that he can be, you know, I could still be a good team guy. It's just completely different to him if he were to join Baltimore, different dynamic. I I think he would definitely be, uh, I think it would just work out completely different. But we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Uh, As I've said previously, one of my favorite writers – is BaltimoreRavens.com columnist John Eisenberg. Eisenberg wrote uh, an article the last couple of days. He says, don't uh, threat about the, the pass rush. Agree, disagree, Mike? Um, I mean, I'm going to disagree, respectively. I, I like John Eisenberg a lot as well. And, uh, you know, years ago had him on some of our podcasts back in the day as well. So um, guy I really respect and really enjoys writing. He makes a lot of good points in his article about how the Ravens generate pressure uh, from other places, like from the secondary. They disguise their looks and things of that nature. So you get some rush from from inside linebackers and from other places. You know, from the cornerback position, you get some pressures as well. But I think you can always do better. And it's one of those things that if it's not addressed, they're going to be looking to the street. Uh, for someone to rush the edge eventually. Similar to when uh, inside linebacker wasn't addressed a couple of years ago. I think by week four, they signed LJ Fort off of his couch, uh, like four weeks into 2019. And Josh uh, Bynes. That worked out okay. And Josh Bynes, exactly. Yeah. And that worked out okay. Those guys, you know, stepped right into it to a, you know, starting role, a role-playing situation and, and held their own. And the, the defense didn't suffer much from it. Um. But what's to say that that they're going to get that lucky twice, especially at a position that's arguably the most valuable on the defense uh, when you consider, you know, where salaries are allotted to to defensive positions. Edge rushers, the the top one, it's on on the team, it's quarterbacks, offensive linemen, quarterbacks, tackles, and then edge rushers get paid uh, the third most. So a, a position that valuable, I don't think you can go into it. Um, just being okay with Tyus Bowser and Jalen Ferguson, and then just hope you're okay. And you know they'll they'll make up the pressures you know in other places. I just don't think you can afford to do that at that position. Jamie, I'm uh, in agreement with Mike there uh, with respect to uh, uh, John, um, and I'm also not super excited about having to rely on trying to add. Uh, add pass rush through the draft uh, right at the top, you know, what are your thoughts right now? I mean, he, he, the, one of the things that, you know, and, and I'll just echo the sentiments I've always enjoyed, you know, Eisenberg, he's you know pretty much a Baltimore legend when it comes to sports writing. 
he talked about the idea of coverage versus pressure and about how, and I don't have the article in front of me, but how they looked at some numbers and said, well, teams that cover better, that actually leads to more wins. But I don't think you can really separate coverage and pressure because getting, getting pressure can lead to bad throws and interceptions, which count good towards your coverage. Yes, you can get coverage sacks as well where guys are, are, are up all over guys. But when you're consistently having to send five and six or even throw in cover zero looks in there, you're putting a lot of pressure on your secondary. And we've seen especially how much the Ravens have struggled against Kansas City over the last couple of years. And then what Tampa was able to do to Kansas City in the Super Bowl, the difference between being able to consistently get pressure with four and drop seven into coverage versus having to bring blitzes from every angle and leave yourself vulnerable somewhere. The good quarterbacks in this league are going to exploit that time and time again. We need someone that can get after the quarterback without having to be a part of a zone blitz or somebody dropping and and two safeties coming. I love the creativity, but it doesn't always lead to something positive. And there are times where it leaves us very vulnerable, and particularly against the Chiefs. And that's the hurdle that the Ravens are going to have to get over if they want to win a championship is getting past the Chiefs. Yeah, Jamie, I'm in complete agreement with uh, uh, your summation there. Uh, in line with this, at NFL.com, Daniel Jeremiah, obviously former member of the Ravens front office and longtime member of the uh, NFL.com staff at this point, he continues to project Penn State's edge uh, Jason Owa uh, to the Ravens at 27. Uh, what are your thoughts there, Jamie? Um, uh, you know, Mike did such a good job of covering the, uh, the edge rushers that are, you know, have been projected in and around, you know, the Ravens or that could be available. And from watching the, the clips and reading some of the scouting reports and looking at what Mike had to say, he's, he's in the lower half of the edge rushers that could be around for us. I, I know college stats only mean so much, but we discussed it last week. He had no sacks last year. That just doesn't look great when that's the guy you want to get after, you know, that you want to get after the quarterback and he's your number one pick. And then you see things like raw, um, projectable, you know, those kind of things scare me with a, with a number one, with my number, my team's number one pick. I don't want to draft a guy who's a project or who has big time flaws that they think can be exploited at the next level. And that seems to be the pervasive scouting report on him that he's got an NFL body, but he's a little slow off the ball and his pass rush moves are really limited. He has trouble recognizing zone blocking schemes. So he may struggle against the run. And I know you don't bring in an edge rusher necessarily to stop the run, but that's going to be part of their job description too, because teams run the ball forty percent of the time. So I, eh, I'm, I'm not I'm not in love with that at twenty-seven. Mike, uh, the Ravens don't add another veteran presence in their front seven. Uh, they draft uh, Oa at twenty-seven. Have they addressed their edge uh, needs? Yeah, um, are you saying have they addressed their edge needs if they drafted? I'm saying if they're not able to add another veteran, you know, that uh, to the front seven that can make a tangible difference, and but they go ahead and they draft him at 27, will they have addressed their? Uh, you know, I, I mean, if they if they do, I think they will think they have addressed the need because uh, of of his explosiveness and his and his 
I guess raw physicality, raw that word coming up again. Um, you know, he, he just had a pro day that made a lot of headlines, whether he ran a sub 440 or I'm sorry, f- sub 4440. Um, and his explosion score, I remember correctly, it was about 71.7 uh, between his bench reps, his broad jump, his 39 and a half inch vertical jump. Um, but it circles back around to you didn't have any sacks. So is that a is that a product of the short season? Is that a product of you know you generated pressure but you didn't finish the job? Is that a product of being a freak athlete but not having the fundamental skills to beat offensive tackles consistently? And um, and and is that something that can be coached up? Uh, one of the comps I saw uh, on NFL.com compared OA to uh, Bud Dupree, and I think that's probably pretty accurate. He's a guy that is – Bud Dupree's a guy that I think was highly touted coming out, similar size, similar explosive athletic ability, but a raw talent. And he's a guy that the Steelers just uh, just resigned or, or kept around. I can't remember. It wasn't franchise tag, but, but he's – coming back to the Steelers. Um, but he's not a guy that was high up on any free agent lists, um, you know, for many. He's a guy, if he made it to free agency, I'd have been okay the Ravens giving a couple of years and a small contract to uh, to fill that hole or, or to be in depth. Uh, but with your first-round pick, you expect that guy to get big-time second contract. Um, you know, that's what first-round expectations are. This guy's going to be a four-year starter. Uh, he's going to solidify that position so you don't have to worry about it. With Bud Dupree, I mean, yeah, he, he kind of played a role. I don't want to say he was a, a major uh, factor in the Steelers' defense compared to some of the other guys. And, and that's kind of where I kind of see Oway uh, falling right now. He, he could be a role player. I don't see him as a guy that's going to be a pro bowler and light up the stat sheet either. He could be a selection that I could wind up talking myself into on draft night and being reasonably okay and believing that there is future projection. I just, you know, we've talked about it multiple times. The Ravens are gearing up for a Super Bowl or bust type of season, and I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be super excited about drafting the project for <laughs> for for this year. I mean. Uh, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at there. But uh, there is something in terms of uh, you like who you like, and if you believe he's the best on the board, then uh, uh, you believe in the long-term promise, go ahead. I hope it's a little bit higher than Dupree, but uh, you know, if that's the pick there. Our colleague uh, Jason Hirschhorn, he wrote about Orlando Brown. I know we've kind of beat Orlando Brown, uh, the topic to death on the podcast in previous weeks, but Jason's article, you know, uh, he kind of reset things of where things stand with uh, the draft nearing. I'm just curious where you guys agree, disagree, Mike. Yeah, I, the, the more and more I think about it, the less I like the idea of trading him. Um, you know, J- Jason made some good points in his article, but I, I feel like uh, he also pointed out that there's apparently six teams linked to an NFL.com article. There's six teams interested in, in uh, Brown right now. Um but I think that and you kind of made it sound like that if they trade Brown, oh, they can just pick up, uh, you know, t- offensive tackle X, Y, and Z, uh, pick 27 and, and be fine, which, yeah, maybe that wasn't what he was intending on, on saying. But uh, like you said, we're in a Super Bowl or bust kind of year. 
the, the Ravens hold all the cards when it comes to Brown's future. So the more and more I think about it, the less I like the idea of trading him right now, where you have the value um, of paying him such a little, you know, the little salary, the fourth, his fourth year rookie contract for the production you're going to get out of him is, is amazing. It's second best on the team, only to Lamar Jackson, basically in terms of production versus salary. Uh, at this point, for me, a team would have to overpay to get Orlando Brown. Um, maybe a team will do that on draft night when, when picks are coming off the board and crazy things happen. Uh, maybe a team will do that. Not, we'll see. But I think a team's going to have to overpay me. If a discussion where a first rounder is not in the cards, that's a non-starter. Um, I actually think that I want a first round this year and a first round next year. And some people might say, well, that's overpaying. Well, that's what I want. I want people to overpay for getting a pro bowl caliber left tackle for $3 million a year. Uh, that's what I would want or for $3 million for this year under a tight salary cap. And then you can extend them however you want after that. Um, and, uh, you know, that's what I'd want is a first rounder this year to bolster the Ravens team plus a first rounder next year when you're going to be giving Lamar Jackson probably his extension and you're going to have to find uh, more draft picks to help out because the money may not be available in free, free agency to uh, build the rest of the roster. Uh, I go back and forth a little bit and Jamie, get your thoughts in a second. I go back and forth a little bit because of your points there, Mike, really, again, Super Bowl year, uh, he's – you're going to be better with him at right tackle than you would be with him gone and whoever you're replacing him with. Uh, I think that's pretty clear. Uh, if someone were to overpay based off of, you know, what you just said, a first and a first, you know, for two years, I'm certainly pulling the trigger there. If someone offered a first in this draft, I'd be – I might be tempted uh, just with the idea I feel like the Ravens have multiple multiple issues. You're probably not going to be able to keep. There's probably no scenario where you're keeping Brown after the 21 season. So, if if I'm able to replace him with a younger, talented lineman through the draft now, even if I'm not as good in 21, at least I know I have another quality option for the next several years there at at, at right tackle. But I mean, it's a lot of things you're trying to weigh there, Jamie. Where are you with that? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's funny. I feel like this story had really got legs because of the the, the – well, I think it was – was it a tweet or like an Instagram post or whatever where he said the thing about wanting to be a left tackle, and it kind of blew up, and it seemed like it was hot and heavy then, and it's – I really feel like it's died down. I mean, obviously, we've talked about it, but on a, on a national level, I feel like it hasn't really been much of a thing. And, uh, you know, Mike said it, and I'll echo it because it's something I've said. You know, the Ravens hold all the cards here. You know, it's not like it's not like Zeus can go out and dog it or not like he can, you know, hold out or anything because then that would kill his value for when he gets to free agency and he won't look get that big left tackle contract that he obviously wants. I think unless a team is willing to, you know, unless a team's really willing to pony up or, you know, maybe something happens on draft night where a team, you know, maybe there's something in the works that we don't know about, but I'm of the mindset that you, you keep them. You go with the bookend tackles that are awesome. Uh, 
And then you look for a replacement, maybe in the middle rounds, somebody you can groom. And, and even if you want to, to play it safe, uh, there's a couple veteran right tackles out on the market, you know, maybe somebody you can bring in like hell, like bring Rick, Rick Wagner back for, you know, for an encore, you know, maybe he wants to, you know, maybe he could be a role player if we, if need be or whatever, but I, I'm of the mindset that there's, you know, I, I, I get it. I, I get the discussion and Chris, you made some outstanding points, but I think, as an organization, they do everything they can to try to make it happen this year. And I think having Orlando Brown in the fold is a lot bigger than not having him and having to worry about trying to develop a draft pick while you're hoping to – not that the right tackle is going to make or break your team, but I just feel more comfortable comfortable if he was there this yeah, I think year. That's a great, great way to put it. You definitely feel more comfortable if – if you're trading him and you're replacing him with anybody, that's going to be a question going into camp. What what do you exactly have? If you have him, you're going to feel pretty strong about the line. Obviously, we'll see what happens directly with the center, but you got three spots you're going to feel really good about. <laughs> and we're hoping Stan and we're hoping Stanley is fully recovered from the ankle. I mean, that's another thing that's in play here too. I mean, obviously, yeah. all signs are pointing to everything being okay, but until he puts pads on and starts doing stuff. You know, so we may potentially need him for a couple games on the left side, maybe, if Stanley needs a little more time. Uh, another article around the interwebs uh, the last few days, CBS did their top remaining uh, free agents at each position. Uh, any names that stood out to you, Jamie? Um, I actually uh, was kind of – I was intrigued that Geno Atkins is still out there. Now, he didn't do much of anything last year, but – Prior to that, I mean, you know, he's been healthy and he's a guy that can generate pressure from the inside, from the defensive tackle spot. And even though for as much as we've talked about edge rusher and how much the need is there, the ultimate goal is to pressure the quarterback and get him to the ground. It doesn't really matter where the pressure comes from. So not saying that Geno Atkins is a double-digit sack guy anymore, but in a rotation and especially in obvious passing situations, you could bring Brandon Williams out and you know maybe rotate Atkins in. So that was a thought for me. Of course, the two veteran pass rushers, Melvin Ingram and Justin Houston, still being out there, I think the Ravens will kick the tires on one of them before it's all, all is said and done because obviously we need bodies there too because – you know, on the roster right now, it's just Ferguson, Bowser, and McPhee, right, for that defensive end. So we just need people. And last but not least, and this is like a, a kind of a Hail Mary thing, like Tyler Eifert is interesting because we need a second – I think we need another pass-catching tight end. And if you're not asking him to, you know, play, you know, play 45 or 50 snaps a game – you know, maybe he stays healthy and he can have an impact, you know, catching 30, 35 balls a game, almost in that, you know, in that, that, uh, um, that role that um, Hayden Hurst was in. I mean, obviously he's not the athlete that Hayden Hurst is, but, you know, thought it might be interesting. Uh, I, I'm with you with pretty much all of those names. And Eifert, I mean, you did say 30, 35 balls a game. You meant a season. Oh, I'm 35. sorry, season. I apologize. My apologies. 35 <laughs> a game would be pretty cool. Uh, oh, that, that'd be nice. Yeah, we threw the ball 700 times that game. <laughs> uh, Atkins, uh, that's kind of an interesting name. I mean, we, we talked about the getting a rush off the edge, but, I mean, if you can improve the interior uh, – uh, pass rush a little bit and be able to collapse the pocket a little bit uh, with a, more of a little rotation there with the tackles. That would be, that could be interesting. Uh, I certainly like the other names. Mike, about yourself. 
Well, yeah, I, I like those names too. I, I the one that I, I kind of sticks out as, as a as a buy low kind of guy is Cordero Patterson, uh, just because he's a Swiss Army knife kind of player. Uh, I think you can you know you can make him the team's kick returner day one, even though Devin Duvernay's been doing that and James Proch has been doing punt return duties. I mean, those guys as, as young receivers that are coming into their second year. I mean, maybe you can you know, try to develop them as receivers and work more with them in their receiving and let Patterson be the, uh, you know, an all-time kick returner. He also played running back last year a little bit. Kind of reminds me of, like, uh, Ty Montgomery when we when we signed him uh, that one year. Like, was it uh, midseason? But you can kind of just line him up as a wideout, line him up as a running back. Um, you know, and, and Patterson, he can he can kick return as well. So, I mean, somebody like that uh, could could just be a, a sneaky asset uh, that you could get creative with. Uh, but I like the other names you mentioned, especially the edge rushers. I think both, like you said, Jamie, kick the tires on one of those veterans uh, as we get closer to camp. So if I pin you guys down, the Ravens can have one of them. Who's the guy? Uh, I, I would uh, – Justin Houston. I still want somebody else on the edge. I mean, again, I like the idea, although I I, I was really torn between him and Atkins because I think I like that idea, but we're really – we are solid at defensive tackle, so it's not really a need, whereas edge is definitely a need. So, you know, and those guys can be situational, so you don't have to – you don't have to you can get 15, 20 snaps a game from them, you know. Yeah. That, that works for me, Justin Houston as well. Let's get it done. That'd be great. Uh, I, I'd feel a lot better going into the draft if we had if we had that locked up. But you're probably right. They're probably going to wait uh, longer, and just uh, and we'll see. Uh, league wide, uh, let's go looking beyond the Ravens a little bit. What story which interests you the most uh, with the draft, uh, Mike? I'll be most interested. Uh, and what the Bengals do uh, early in the draft, since they hold the fifth pick, it seems like with the 49ers trading up to pick number three, the top three picks off the board are all going to be quarterbacks. Um, and then after the top three picks, that leaves the Falcons picking fourth. They could go any number of directions. And then that brings us to the Bengals. Uh, will they be able to land Kyle Pitts or will Atlanta snag him up? That would probably be one of the best cases for them. Uh, to land him, he's—I think he's an elite prospect, a scary player for the Ravens to have to face twice a year. Uh, if uh, Atlanta takes him, the Bengals—if they take an offensive lineman, then that's going to protect Joe Burrow. That'd be a smart move as well. The Bengals could end up uh, going wide out. Uh, Jamar Chase could be there. Uh, they have, seem to have the same luck at the position when it comes to the draft as the Ravens do. Uh, Sands AJ Green, so. Um, you know, like John Ross and some of these other guys are just not, uh, you know, I guess the book's still open on the, the guy they drafted last year, Higgins. Um, yeah. You know, they, the book's, you know, judge, jury's still out on that one. But, I, I mean, they, they seem to like going wide out a lot in drafts recently, and I wonder if that'll continue to – they'll just try to continue to throw guys out there for Burrow to throw to, or will they protect him, uh, or will Kyle Pitts, uh, who looks elite as – anything to me, uh, you know, fall to them and, and wreak havoc on the Ravens for the next however many years. So basically just an in, a division rival. That's the one that interests me, that interests me the most uh, to see who they add and what direction they try to go. Jamie, wrap it up. What's the uh, story for you? 
I thought I think the whole 49ers situation is actually pretty interesting. Mike, you know, alluded to them trading up to three. It's like you you invested a lot of money in Jimmy Garoppolo, and it really hasn't been performance related with him per se. I mean, he's had health issues that's kept him off the field for pieces of the last one. Yeah, but I mean, you know, he's still when you look at his when you just look at his raw numbers, it's not it's not that bad that I feel like you would it's or it's interesting to me that it they that the, the organization feels it's that bad that they had to move up. Now it's interesting because it creates some intrigue because there's the the Mac Jones Justin Fields debate. You know, a lot of Mac Jones college career, he played behind a very elite offensive line. And I've read one uh, report that's like he's never going to play behind personnel that good in the NFL. So how much has that overinflated his value? There's some people, Chris Sims in particular, that said, yeah, Mac Jones is going to the 49ers. But there's other people that disagree with that. And then, um, oh, God, who was – I think it was one of the NFL – one of the ESPN guys now, it escapes me. But he was with the 49ers, and they gave him some assurances that they were going to battle with Jimmy Garoppolo as their starter this year, and they're just looking to supplement the position. But I don't think you move up the three – to take a quarterback just to supplement the position, you're looking for your you're looking for your starting quarterback if you trade up to three and are taking a quarterback because I don't see who else they'd be taking at three. Uh, I mean, you mentioned Fields, uh, who I kind of like, but I I'm not sure he's in the equation there. It looks like it's really Lance or uh, or Jones, and if you're taking Jones. That would pretty that would surprise me to to go up to take him because I I feel like his best case scenario is he's Garoppolo, uh, um, uh, Lance he's got that higher higher ceiling but San Francisco is is built to win I don't I, they can't hand the ball to uh, to Lance uh, uh, next year and be expecting to win maybe they keep Garoppolo around and they they ride that for a year. Although a lot of people feel like he's going to be he moved out some uh, you know right around the draft, uh, so interesting there. Yeah, the uh, one of the one of the things that that was interesting about those guys is that um, Mac Jones is a, he ran a lot of uh, RPO stuff in college. I think he said twenty one percent of his his dropbacks were or not dropbacks, whatever, 21% of his snaps were RPOs. And the 49ers last year only ran 24 RPOs all year. So that's not really in Shanahan's offense, and that's Mac Jones' wheelhouse. So it was interesting that somebody like Chris Sims, who is close to their organization, is tying Mac Jones to them, but he doesn't seem like a great fit. But, you know, and like to your point, so maybe it's just one of those, you know, draft things blowing smoke. Well, to, to argue argue against myself there for a second, if you take Mac Jones and even if you believe his ceiling is only similar to Garoppolo, if they're able to move Garoppolo and his contract and you're able to replace him with a similar player, a caliber player in Jones, and you've got a team that's built, uh, you know, really a Super Bowl caliber roster around him and you have Jones long-term the next few years making nothing. That could be a pretty exciting prospects uh, uh, for them. Uh, yeah, I I just kind of feel like if, you, if you're swinging there, I would rather swing for the for the guy that you perceive to have the higher ceiling. But, you know, that's me. And the tough Great. part there is Jones is coming off full year in the SEC where uh, – uh, the other dude played one game in the uh, FCS. So right. it, it, uh, 
that's a little tough uh, to make that call. Um, so better, better than better. them than us, and we'll see what happens uh, with them and the rest of the draft. Hey, now Joe Flacco played in the FCS. Come on, <laughs> not a knock against the FCS. Plenty of talent uh, comes out of that level. It's just the idea of guy had one game this year. Uh, 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 I mean, because of COVID related, related, they only played the one game, and you know, so you've got less tape uh, overall, and you're trying to make that evaluation, and you gave up what they did to move up to that position. And like, you got to feel really secure <laughs> of who you're going with there. And right. I don't know. I'd have palpitations if I was them, and I was I was making that uh, making that choice. Uh, but right, and that's probably the over. The- yeah. Come I'm join the discussions with us at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. Uh, trying to have more just general NFL uh, talk uh, through the offseason. They've done one of the things I think the NFL has done better in recent years is they their season just lasts all year at this point. They, they, they dominate uh, uh, discussion right now in the offseason. I mean, uh, you look at all the national shows, and it's still NFL-based, even with uh, MLB starting up the, this past week. I mean, that's an afterthought. NHL is an afterthought. Maybe you get an NHL story, I mean, uh, uh, an NBA story here and there. But, uh, you know, even the, maybe the Masters the next day or two will break through. But really it's the NFL, 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 plenty to talk about. Come and join us in discussions there, plenty with the Ravens as well. Getting closer to the draft, we'll have more uh, draft coverage next week. We'll get into more of that. Look for the latest articles from Jamie and Mike. And thanks for joining us, and we'll uh, talk again soon. Take care.